You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Public impeachment inquiry day number two. And what a day it was, folks. President Trump live tweeting during the actual hearing with Marie Yovanovitch. Is that witness tampering? That's the talk of the town tonight. Plus, diving into foreign policy and the latest on the 2020 campaign trail. All of that, plus good day for the Export-Import Bank. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My panel of all-star insiders tonight, Adam Hodge, previous Democrat communicator at the Treasury Department in the Obama administration. Now he's at Aerial Investments as Senior Vice President. Brian Darlingsback, former Senior Communications Director to Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and the founder of Liberty Government Affairs. Okay, here we go. Friday. We made it. So I start the day. I'm at the White House. We're covering trade. We're going to get to that before the market open. We're following the latest back and forth. Kudlow's out there talking about U.S.-China trade policy. That's all the markets are caring about today. But then I go to Longworth, back to Longworth, where Marie Yovanovitch is testifying before the House Intelligence Committee. I turn the corner in Longworth right as they're ending a recess. I almost walked right into her. You can't make it up. <laughs> So I'm sitting there, and we're going through this, and all of a sudden, the tweets start coming. Did you see these tweets? We did. And President Trump, he's tweeting out in real time virtually, criticizing Marie Yovanovitch, criticizing her during the hearing. And later, another tweet, responding to her assertion that the State Department, that, that it wasn't staffed, that there were vacancies all over the world. Meanwhile, she's carefully laying out this narrative to Democrats on the committee saying, essentially, that Rudy Giuliani was running a shadow State Department and that she was hearing from folks uh, inside of the State Department uh, that things were being increasingly politicized. Let's start with your take, Adam, as we sort through the second public day of impeachment inquiry hearings. So I think my biggest takeaway was actually something she said uh, in her opening statement about why this all matters. 
it's because you have diplomats uh, serving abroad, and now the world knows that if they pressure an ambassador or they pressure or get too close to the president's uh, people, they can force out an ambassador for their own personal interests. And that is a real uh, degradation of both American foreign policy and the trust that the world has in our ability to carry out an effective foreign policy and our standing as a global leader. I hear you on that. But what do you say to the Republican sources that I talked to? He say, hey, wait a minute. He's the commander in chief. He can hire, fire whomever he wants. He, he has the right to hire and fire whoever he wants, but just that doesn't make it the right thing to do or that make it the right policy approach for, for the country. And I think what Democrats, I think, so far have painted pretty effectively uh, is why uh, the broader investigation uh, matters and, and why they need to get to the bottom of, of the whole thing. I think it was pretty extraordinary that this is a third witness that's testified, no firsthand knowledge, never spoke to President Donald J. Trump, never spoke to Mick Mulvaney. And I think it also we've seen something we will probably never see again. We've never seen in the past where the president in real time is responding and he he's basically uh, trying to make the case that because I can't have my lawyers there, because I'm not allowed, because my side, the Republicans aren't allowed to really put their case out there. I'm going to use Twitter and I'm going to use press conferences to have my say and push. You know, most court most court cases, you can't you can't even have like your cell phone on even as a reporter. I mean, I've covered some pretty high profile (laughs) trials in my day and they would say no tweeting or leave your devices. They don't even let photographers in. You know, that's why you get those court drawings So to have the president of the United States live tweeting. I mean, it is I'm not not opinion here. It is remarkable. It is. But. One of the things that we treasure in our country is a Bill of Rights and the idea in the Sixth Amendment that you're allowed to confront witnesses against you. Well, he's trying to do it in his own way, confront this witness and say, here's why this witness is not credible. And I think he has a right to do that because he has a right to just make his case. Let me ask you this, Adam, because what's the difference between the RNC or or the DNC in real time, putting out responses in real time during the hearings? You get the emails. You've probably written some, both of you. (laughs) Sure. And – and the president using his Twitter account and putting out a statement. I think part of it is that the president is the central figure at, who's at risk of, of being impeached. Uh, but the one thing I, I want to go back to and, re- and remind folks is the president has refused to allow people in his administration to testify. He's refused to release the, the cables, <laughs> um, the cables yes. at the center of the investigation. Now, if you were really innocent or you thought that um, you had a, a clear case to make, you would want to put as much of your information out there thinking that that would overwhelm the facts. And now, so far, the White House has refused to let Mick Mulvaney uh, Mike, Mike Pompeo or other folks close to the White House testify. Let's listen to the exchange where Schiff reads the tweet to Yovanovitch and she responds to President Trump's tweet. Take a listen. Notwithstanding the fact that, as you testified earlier, the president implicitly threatened you in that call record, and now the president in real time is attacking you, what effect do you think that has on other witnesses' willingness to come forward and expose wrongdoing? Well, uh, it's very intimidating. It's designed to intimidate, is it not? I I mean, I can't speak to what the president is trying to do, but I think the effect is to be intimidating. Well, I want to let you know, Ambassador, that some of us here take witness intimidation very, very seriously. Do you think, Brian Darling, that's witness intimidation? Well, uh, pretty clearly it could it's intimidating when the president is tweeting about you, but 
Is it witness intimidation per se in the legal sense? I don't believe so. I believe it's just the president trying to have his say and to use his microphone, his megaphone of Twitter to push back and, and attack the credibility of the witness. Do you think the, the, that that could be an article of impeachment? I think it, it can be. And it, Do you think it will what, be? What, what, you, what you've heard from Democrats so far is that they're definitely going to consider it. I think you have to remember the context, though. She was forced to flee the country, to, to flee – Ukraine in April after the State Department officials said that her, she, they feared for her safety. So that's already in the, in the ether. That's already something that's in the back of her mind. To have it happen while she's testifying uh, was shocking, to say the least. And just the, the headline, again, I mean, there was so much uncovered and virtually in real time, an article of impeachment emerges in Longworth with a tweet and Yovanovitch. But let's just go through this. The day began with President Trump releasing the, the original what, what, what is everyone has a different word for transcript memorandum not a transcript not a transcript transcript <laughs> yeah. all right so don't go after me uh, it's a three pager and the president had invited uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine to to come to the White House but no real bombshell he mentioned Miss Universe but no real bombshell right well, the, I mean, the, the, the bombshell today was actually that the, when the White House officially released the, their readout of the call back in April they said that they talked about corruption so Somehow, in the intervening months, the idea about corruption disappeared from the transcript or it never happened in the first place. And I think it also is worth noting, uh, just again, this characterization of Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, really kind of running his own political, international, geopolitical operation. And the thing that we heard today uh, from the reported by The Wall Street Journal was that Giuliani was actually trying to orchestrate – that policy on behalf of uh, these two sort of clowns in, in Ukraine because he was pursuing natural gas contracts in Ukraine himself. That, to me, seems – that was a bombshell Look, in itself. We're going to disagree about a lot of things, but I bet we can agree on this, that Rudy Giuliani is not a great attorney. He's not the guy you should be have, run, have running around Ukraine trying to work out these deals. I mean we've seen it when he's done his public media appearances where he makes admissions and – you know, clearly he's not he's not doing a very good job on behalf of the president. And just a final note on this, Roger Stone, remember him? Yeah. Roger Stone found guilty today in court of lying to Congress, essentially, during his September 2017 uh, testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. If that's not a warning to all these folks who are testifying before the House Intel that don't treat it as a joke or you'll be convicted. Coming up, more policy and politics with the panel. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Go Eagles! They're going to beat the Patriots this weekend. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Attacks are leading to a crisis in the State Department as the policy process is visibly unraveling. Leadership vacancies go unfilled, and senior and mid-level officers ponder an uncertain future. The crisis has moved from the impact on individuals to an impact on the institution itself. The State Department is being hollowed out from within at a competitive and complex time on the world stage. This is not a time to undercut our diplomats. 
That was Marie Yovanovitch testifying earlier today on Capitol Hill before the Senate Intelligence Committee. She's a career Foreign Services uh, employee of the government. 33 years she served in the government before President Trump ousted her last May. She's now at the center of all of this. And whether or not President Trump bribed, as the word Democrats are using, bribed Ukraine President Zelensky in order to withhold $400 million worth of military aid in exchange for Zelensky and the Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guest with me tonight, Brian Darling, a Republican strategist, previously worked for Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, and Adam Hodge, who is at Ariel Investments now. He's a senior vice president over there, previously having served in the Obama Treasury Department. Uh, Meanwhile, gentlemen, as this is going on, literally, after that hearing wraps, the House Intelligence Committee holding another hearing to look at an embassy aide who says they might have witnessed hearing President Trump ask the European ambassador, Sondland, who's testifying next week, if how the investigation was going into into the Bidens. I mean, it, if it's hard to follow all of this, it's because it's moving so quickly. But that's the latest. That was a closed-door testimony uh, with, uh, with that individual. Uh, and the public hearings are set to continue next week. All right, enough about the impeachment. Just for, We're going to have pause on that. We'll come back to it. But did you see this, U.S.-China trade deal? You've been following this? So uh, yesterday, Kudlow, Larry Kudlow, the economic advisor, Brian, he speaks at the Council of Foreign Relations and then talks to reporters after and says that they're in the final stages of negotiating the U.S.-China phase one trade deal. Comments also being told this morning on uh, Fox Business Network uh, from Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. It would appear that when you juxtapose that with the comments coming from uh, Beijing, that they, we're in like the final days of, of, of inking a deal. Well, that's great news. I mean, we've been worrying about this, whether it's ever going to happen for months and months. The Chinese had, were talking tough months ago. Trump was saying he was going to impose tariffs, and he stopped imposing tariffs. And I hope this all works out. I mean, I think that uh, the market's soaring because of the fact that things are going well with this trade deal. And, you know, we never know what's going to happen in the House, but hopefully the House at some point takes up the uh, Mexico-Canada trade yeah. deal, too. Interesting. Adam, uh, we, we talk about this all the time, but traders up on Wall Street, they're not blinking off of the, the impeachment tweets and the back and forth and the, the accusations of quid pro quo and bribery. They are moving off of every single word that comes out of President Trump's top economic advisors as it relates to U.S. and China. And just today, today alone, stocks rose to an all-time high. Uh, And that was the Dow Industrial climbing past 28,000 for the first time. The U.S. stock market, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, the U.S. stock market just reached another milestone as the Dow Jones Industrial Average passed the 28,000 threshold for the first time, extending its gain for the year to 20 percent. I mean, I think what the, the markets are hoping is that this deal actually gets done. I think they all recognize, and it seems like the White House and China are both recognizing that nobody wins a a, a, a trade war. It's not something that – and it's had real-time, uh, real impact on the American economy so far this year. If we can get 
away from a trade war and get into what is a more normal relationship uh, from an economic standpoint, and there are real um, measurable gains on both sides, uh, that is ultimately good for the um, American economy, and hope it hope it happens. Am I hearing praise about <laughs> President Trump? Wow! I would say we, you know, uh, this 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 Democrat That's what would I do say on we, show. we I bring probably, people together. Yeah, uh, uh, this Democrat wishes that we had never gotten down the road of a trade war in the first place, um, and we saw uh, both real economic and uh, in the last election real political consequences for the president in some of the states that were hardest hit by all the the tariffs. So, for moving away from that. Ultimately, that's progress. That's kind of the million-dollar question is if President Trump hadn't engaged in this trade war, would we be getting a trade deal now? And that's – you know, as somebody who hates tariffs, I don't like the idea of taxing the American consumer uh, in that way. But it looks like it's working. It looks like the tough talk and the fact that President Trump has imposed these tariffs maybe brought China to the table and have us in a situation where we're going to get a very good trade deal. I I just – Go ahead. No, I was going to say the question is, do we actually get real measurable uh, move on some of the, um, you know, China's protectionist uh, work on in, on tech and, and the force transfers there? No, I mean, the, not in phase the, one. Not in phase one. And uh. so that's where ultimately the, the, the devil is in the details about right. whether this deal was really worth it. In the trade and to Adam's point, Brian, I mean, it, it, we were talking about this in the break and, and just it bears repeating. I mean, earlier – Today, the uh, Lue Hua, who is the top Chinese negotiator for President Xi Jinping, they had a, they had a call with Lighthizer, Mnuchin. They all get on the phone. They're going back and forth, and they're talking about this as the stock market's climbing above Dow Jones, above 28,000. And, you know, but the markets have priced this in. Yeah. If, if they don't, if they do not get a phase one deal – by December 15th, when those additional tariffs are going to go into effect. And let's not forget, President Trump just the other day said that, look, if they don't get a phase one deal by December 15th, he's going to slam them with more tariffs. Right, right. So, I mean, he's doubling there could be down. volatility in mid-December. Right. He's pushed all his chips in on this deal. And if it breaks down, it's going to be a big problem. But ultimately, you know, with all the talk about impeachment, everything that's going on, all the controversies, Trump tweeting all the time, the fact of the matter is the economy is in a very good place right now. Stock market soaring, unemployment numbers at record low. Um, the, the people are having more confidence in the economy right now, which speaks to the idea. I mean, as everybody knows, if it was anybody but Donald Trump, he would be looking at a historic stomp in the next fall elections, and but just maybe not happen. Blink and you'll miss it. Uh, next week, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer says that uh, they're going to pass a short-term bill to keep the government open. So, I don't even. Know. I mean, they're kicking it. They're not even kicking it down the road. They're kicking it like an inch because it's uh, yeah. They're, uh, to December twentieth, uh, they're going to fund it through. And remember that shutdown <clears throat> in the, during the last holiday season. So all of this is going to be. Can you imagine impeachment, shutdown, tariffs. It's going to be Merry Christmas. I, oh, I know. It happened, <laughs> but I think know. I think there is an incentive for for House Democrats to show that they can get some of this stuff done, and whether that's USMCA yeah, or whether um, you know it's it's the you know funding the government. I think they want to be able to show that they can. Do impeachment and hold the president accountable as they see fit and also do these other things that they think are important. 
At least we have an Eagles win tonight or Sunday night to look <laughs> Sunday afternoon to, to look forward to Brian against the, the the New England Patriots. You ready to see them lose? Their second They're second not going to lose, so I'm not ready to. I've see already it. made like <laughs> I, I've already made like a, a, a two bets over hoagies over over this game. So if you want to if you want to throw so what what all right, well, we'll talk about it in the break. Yeah. Uh, coming up, panel reacts foreign policy 2020 and what's on the panel's radar. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and I am so excited for the Eagles Patriots on Sunday. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Brian Darling's here. He's a massive Philadelphia Eagles fan uh-huh. and also uh, the former comms director for Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Adam Hodge is also here. He used to work at the Obama White House in the Treasury Department. Now he's at Ariel Investments, a senior vice president. Brian, uh, so we're gonna, we, we decided we're going to bet on a hoagie. Yes. All right. We don't know where the hoagie. There's a couple of options. But yeah, a couple of good options. A couple of good options. Italian stores, yes. great out in Arlington, and um, and we just heard of what's this new place? On, not new, but I've just heard of this on Capitol Hill. Mangialardos. All right, Mangialardos. I'm going to try that. Get next the G man. All right, done. I've got a bub and pops, and yeah, you know. So, all right, Friday night hoagies here on Bloomberg Radio <laughs> Sound on 2020. You've been following this. I mean, Politico is reporting that Senator Kamala Harris, the Democrat from California, that her campaign's in disarray, Adam. What are you hearing from your friends? Uh, I mean, I think uh, a number of people um, are somewhat surprised at her inability to continue the rise after what, what seemed like a strong performance in the middle of the summer. Now, what I will say to all of all my friends is that it is? It seems <laughs> but crazy. It's, it's still early. Uh, at this point in 2004, John Kerry was in roughly three to four percent. He went on to win the Iowa caucus uh, and, and win the nomination. So, I think what the smart campaigns are doing—they're still laying the foundation to really emerge as a strong candidate in end of December in, into January. We still got, believe it or not, 81, 80 odd, odd days to go until the Iowa caucus. Um, and I think a lot of the campaigns feel like if they can just hold on and, and run run their playbook, they got a chance. Yeah, but they so you're saying compete. there's a chance. But, <laughs> but they've got to compete against the impeachment. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I agree that it is pretty wide open. I mean, when you have a front runner like Joe Biden who keeps stumbling and doing having very poor performances at debates, it kind of opens up the door. And you're having candidates at the last second running into New Hampshire and filing paperwork. I mean – 
impeachment is throwing uh, this up the situation where Democrats probably think, hey, we have a pretty good chance of winning because we don't know what's going to happen over the next year. But I don't know. I think if you look at the economy and you look at some of the polling data, it doesn't look great for Trump. But then again, Trump voters don't poll. They don't pick up the phone. They don't take those polls. And they didn't in the last election. That's why those polls are also wrong. You know, it has been fascinating, Adam. And let's talk about Joe Biden, because he's taken all summer. He's gotten hit, hit, hit. Then we get into the fall. Hit, hit, hit. And he's still number one in the polls. I mean, yes, not. It's tightened in Iowa as well as in New Hampshire, but he's, he's still at, at, at number one or number two. And I think it speaks nationally. To the, I want to correct myself. Nationally, but even there was a poll this week that had him up in New Hampshire, which everybody right. sort of thought was written off for, for um, you know, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders. I think it speaks to the second thing is his name ID. People do know who he is. He's a known quantity, and that still matters in the Democratic primary. The question is, how do they uh, capitalize and how does that campaign? taking all the hits that they've taken over the summer, position themselves to reestablish him as the odds-on frontrunner for the, for, the, for the nomination. I think him being an months. underdog might help him. I think, and I think he, he tends to perform better, stronger, exactly, as an underdog when people think that he's, he's down. Again, that's what happened to, to John Kerry, and in, there is a playbook there um, to then rise back. I don't up think and Joe Biden wants to be. Oh, no, I thought, never mind. I thought you were saying John Edwards. I, was like, no, I don't think no. Joe Biden one, one wants the, to be John Edwards. No. One of the problems is that Joe Biden has run for president twice before, and those campaigns did not go all that well. And now this one is not going really great. I mean, he is in yeah, first what place. Is a, what is a great presidential campaign? Whoever did Donald was Donald Trump's presidential campaign perceived as going great? Yes. His poll. Oh. Once he took the lead, he never gave it up. He just destroyed all the other Republicans. And look, I worked for one of them. We oh, thought yeah, we had a pretty Paul. good chance. But in the, we general, didn't. in the general, no one thought his campaign was going well. He didn't think he was going to win. No, so. he didn't. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's not an opinion. It's fact. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to comment on? So, but but this whole notion, I I, I mean, inside of the Beltway, uh, Adam, that Biden's doing so bad. I I just you look at the polls, and I think so much of the the back and forth, the tweets, all of it, the the the, the boom boom boom. I don't think people are are aware of it. I think they've got other stuff on their plate that they're dealing with. I think they're again. Two things. The Democratic primary will not be won on Twitter. No. Well, number one. Number two, I think that there are a lot of – This is of, why I don't – barely tw- – I, 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 it's exhausting. And I think everyone's – I think it's beyond reached its saturation point. And I think the other, other point is that the voters who are going to decide the Democratic primary are largely – tend to be a little bit older, and they tend to be uh, people who vote all the time, people who've often already voted for Joe Biden. And so when you get into Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and then beyond in a Super Tuesday, it is the ability to run a real national campaign. And that's a question, can um, you know the other candidates who have some financial constraints Mount an effective national campaign. I said, no, but you also, you, you maybe it can't be won in Iowa, New Hampshire, <clears throat> South Carolina, but it could be lost. I mean, you could have a situation where Joe Biden walks in Iowa, and if he doesn't have a decent showing, he's going to walk in very weak in New Hampshire, in a state where you have Bernie Sanders from Vermont the next state over, Deval Patrick and Elizabeth Warren from the next state over. It's going to be impossible for him to recover. Wow. Well, when you, point it like, when you put it like that, and I say Twitter doesn't matter, when virtually the president of the United States could have just picked up an article of impeachment by tweeting during an impeachment proceeding. Fox News' is Brett Baer, who's just been 
stellar at this, putting on a masterclass of journalism for how to cover this. He says that uh, he, he tweeted this out. He said that it was adding an article of impeachment real time. That's how he characterized it in response to the president of the United States uh, tweeting this out. And and it doesn't really even matter if you agree with it or disagree with it. The Democrats are in control. And I would be stunned if that wasn't – if that's not on the, the list that they do. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar? We dive into the weeds and a preview of next week. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com iHeartRadio and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Friday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Brian Darling's here, Republican strategist, previously with Senator Rand Paul. What's Senator Paul think about all this impeachment stuff? Well, I think he is with the president, and he thinks that there's a lot of overreach. He's one of the ones that's making the case that the whistleblower uh, should be not exposed, but the president should have the opportunity to push back and have that person questioned publicly because they started this whole controversy. Follow-up question. What does Senator Paul think of the tariffs on bourbon? Kentucky Senator Paul bourbon. hates tariffs. Yeah, that's he what I thought. Tariffs. Yeah, and Kentucky, twenty-five <laughs> percent is what the EU slapped on bourbon yeah. tariffs, and that impacts Kentucky. Uh, Adam Hodge is here. He's a Democrat. He like it's so weird how you have to like it's define true. people by their political party. I uh, worked in the Obama <laughs> Treasury Department, and now he's at Ariel Investments as an SVP. I just learned that you grew up in St. Croix. St. Croix. Croix. Born and raised. Never yeah, America's paradise. Everybody should go. Wow. So you were fourteen. So I was fourteen, and yeah. then you just, so, and then you came to to, to Washington. No, to Arizona. No, moved moved to uh, New Rochelle, New York. Uh, even though my my mom's family from Queens, and um, you realize winter's a real thing when you move from St. Croix <laughs> to the to New York. Yeah, I, I but but Forty ers That's what you're a Forty ers fan. That's 49ers. what I don't understand. Is where Forty Niners, Cleveland Indians, Carolina basketball. Why? Because uh, you know the, it, it. All we ever got were some of the national games on TV. You There's were no deprived with no Philadelphia sports teams. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, all right. I, I've I've turned out pretty well without it. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was rude. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's on your radar? We'll start with Brian Darling. Brian, what's on your radar? Well, we have a continuing resolution that kicks yes. all the decisions to December 20th and my million... No one's talking about this and no. I, neither am I. And I, I I feel like I owe an apology because it is a huge deal. It is. Especially inside of the Beltway for the ecosystem of businesses if there's a government shutdown and how that negatively impacts folks. Yeah, I mean, that could happen. And also, I mean, think about when this trial kicks off in the Senate. And you know, the Senate during the Clinton administration, the Republicans and Democrats, whenever they have these big decisions, they go to the old Senate chamber and try and work out an agreement. I think you're going to see that with this where they'll do that. They'll go to the old Senate chamber, sit down Republicans and Democrats, try and hammer out some sort of a set of rules to conduct this trial in the Senate. Um, but then, you know, that that is still going to be in conflict with that December 20th date. And we may see a government shutdown in the middle of impeachment trial. In the middle of impeachment, in the middle of U.S.-China trade relations. And, and, and we always say, I mean, the markets aren't moving on impeachment, but they do move on, on shutdown news and, and, and whatnot. No, that's absolutely right. And I think, um, you know, I think the, the hope for, for both markets and, and is that this finds a way to, to kind of resolve itself peacefully 
and let the impeachment stuff carry on in its own sort of echo chamber while the business gets done. That's certainly what you've heard House Democrats and Nancy Pelosi just this week saying uh, the House Democrats are going to focus on trying to get some of those things that matter done. What's on your radar, Adam? Big thing on my radar is actually going down in, in North Carolina. Yes. Uh, the There's been an attempt um, to uh, redraw and a court-ordered redraw of the, the, the maps uh, for House races down there currently – it split 10 Republicans, three Democrats. Uh, it's been found to be partisan uh, – be, it's been gerrymandered in a overly partisan way. And so what you're – the state has to redraw those maps and it could mean Democrats get two more seats or up to four more seats in a state that is, if you look at the math, actually a 50-50 state uh, across, the, across the state. So um, keep an eye on that and it's, it's certainly you know going to um, – present new opportunities for Democrats to expand their majority in the House. It is it is really important. And when you hear that, Brian, what goes well, through your mind? I, I am from the state that created the gerrymander, Massachusetts. And if you look at Massachusetts, Massachusetts has a Republican governor and had a Republican senator a few years ago, but we haven't had a Republican House member in a long time, I think since the late 90s. So, and they they have had Republicans. Silvio Conti back in the day was a, uh, from the western part of the state for a long time, but we don't have any Republicans representing us uh, in, the, uh, in the House and probably never will. I think right now Susan Collins is still the only Republican yeah. in the really? entire North Northeast. Yeah. Susan is, Collins. Is, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you don't consider Pennsylvania. I mean, Pennsylvania technically not the Northeast. Uh-uh. I mean, I, that's 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 for you to decide. Yeah. I don't think it is. Well, I don't think it is. But no. that is interesting. I mean, when you, when you look at that, especially how Elizabeth Warren was able to able to tap into that. I mean, you had Scott Brown briefly there for a minute, Bry. I mean, you have a couple. You had you know Republican governor in Maine. You have a Republican. You had one. You have a Republican governor in Massachusetts. So it is weird the way these states and Massachusetts ha- actually had a lot of Republican governors. Mitt Romney, um, Paul Cellucci. It's 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 a weird area. It's not as liberal as you would think. It's more partisan liberal, more Democrat than it is liberal. That's it's it's an interesting correlation to uh, where Democrats have been able to hold governor's races in in Louisiana and now in in Kentucky, uh, you see uh, the other party who shows that they can actually try to govern. And those state-based elections aren't as driven by the national debate. It's more focused on getting things done locally. And I think that's why you've seen some of these um, states that you wouldn't think would have uh, the member of their party leading the the state um, actually being the person who's in charge. You know what's on my radar? Colin Kaepernick. Did you guys yeah. see this? No. Did you see this? So CBS News out of Boston is reporting that the NFL is hosting a workout for Colin Kaepernick this weekend. And while most agree it's just a publicity stunt by the league, it will give the former quarterback his best shot to make it back into pro football. Well, this 49ers fan will still never get over having first and in, first in, in goal against the Ravens. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick and fail to get it done. So, But yeah. it... it, it According to uh, ESPN senior reporter uh, Adam Schefter, he's tweeted out that more than 24 NFL teams are now expected at the workout tomorrow at the Falcons training complex just outside of Atlanta. But 24 and Tom Brady, Tom Brady, your your quarterback. Yes, my guy. Tom Brady has actually uh, said that it was, quote unquote, pretty cool that Kaepernick is getting the opportunity to 
prove himself to NFL teams. So well, I mean, well, Brady had Antonio Brown as his roommate for a little while. So, but again, I mean, not, and not this isn't a sports show. It's not a reality television gossip show. No, but I mean, Colin Kaepernick clearly is is has is, oh, is especially a huge cultural force. In, right in now. this year, you've got all the quarterbacks going down injured. So every every team uh, probably needs to look at a quarterback. And that, just, that's been the most amazing thing. You look at how bad the quarterback plays in the NFL. You figure out Colin Kaepernick can't get a job yeah. as a backup somewhere. But what he represent? I mean, what he has come to represent. What he has come to say, and how that uh, you know politics has touched sports. Now, I mean, look at the NBA with the U.S. and China. Look at what happened with the Washington World Series champions, Washington Nationals, in terms of that divide. Uh, and you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, you really don't want to mix politics and sports. And well, that's what too man, bad. You're way over that point. That's what me. You're bit, way over yeah. that point. All right, go Eagles. Thank you, Brian Darling. Thank you, Adam Hodge. Go from Ariel, Invest- <laughs> Ariel Investments. Uh, that does it for me. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.